Weddings are undoubtedly a complicated affair. The modern wedding itself has only become more and more complicated over time. For the couple in particular, there are so many elements to consider. From a theme, to decorations, to the venue, a guest list, and of course the food. Weddings are one of the few times in life that most of us will ever be in charge of catering a meal for such a large group of people. And the menu is often crucial to the event. The menu can be a statement piece for the couple, incorporating the couple's personality, culture, background, and of course their personal tastes and preferences. At the same time, you have to consider the needs of your guests. From dietary restriction to different ideologies, it is certainly one of the most all-encompassing parts of a wedding. On this episode of Late Night Noshing, we will be talking about the particular beliefs of Iko Kashrut and other ideologies that are being incorporated into the modern Jewish wedding. So come with me as we dive into this week's episode, looking at this unique cross-section of ideology and food. As we get started here, let's take a brief walk through a quick history of eco-kashrut and the eco-kosher movement. So in the 1970s, Rabbi Zalman Jahashter Shalomi, or Reb Zalman, as he's referred to by many of his friends and followers, was seen as one of the leading figures and ideologues of the Jewish renewal movement. He theorized and wrote about a variety of new approaches to halacha, Jewish law, and one of his major doctrines was the idea of eco-kashrut, which became more popular during the movement um, and focused on a focal point of what Reb Zalman's belief around eco-kashrut was, that the Torah teaches us that we must keep the Jewish laws and we are not to abominate ourselves. Zalman and others who promote the eco-kashrut movement seek to apply this to the modern food and labor conditions of food production. I think the idea is relatively straightforward. Uh, and the belief system is attractive to a lot of people because it aligns many modern social concerns with the teachings of the Torah. A couple of the major points that Eko Kashrut seeks to address is the evolution of the food industry. And we must adapt the understandings of the, the Torah to the, the modern lens of our modern Jewish world. And Eko Kashrut uses this lens to address some of the issues that many find with the quote-unquote big food industry. This covers a variety of topics, uh, from labor that is involved in food production, is it humane, is, is the product fair trade, is it sustainably produced, and what effect does the production and even the consumption of this food have on our environment? Eco-Kashrut, despite many misconceptions, does not necessarily prescribe veganism, but rather is focused more um, on kosher meat and the in particular ways that meat is produced, even in kosher facilities, and how the animals and are treated and the workers in, in the facilities are treated. Eco-Kashrut is also one of a variety of similar movements, as I talked about in the introduction, that exist in modern Judaism. Some scholars trace Jewish vegetarianism, another deeply religious practice for many Jews, all the way back to the prophet Isaiah. And some interpretations of the book of Isaiah shows vegetarianism to be something that is to be idealized and something that can bring one closer to God. Vegan weddings as well have become much more popular, particularly with Israeli Jews, with Israel actually having the highest rate of vegans of any country in the world. Restaurants and caterers in Israel 
have certainly begun to adjust to this with a growing number of suppliers looking to service this large vegan population. Uh, as, the, as the very popular food blogger um, in Israel, Ora Shavit, uh, talks about in her experience with the growth of Israeli veganism and Jewish veganism, um, was her experience and, and how she had been a food um, reviewer previous to becoming vegan, and although she was around food in her daily life constantly, she never really understood the practice of veganism because it cut out so many of the, of the food options until she met her husband and realized, although she was around food so often, and it obviously was a huge part of her work, she never truly knew much about where her food came from. And I think this is something that is reflects a, a, the move of modern Judaism to seek a greater understanding of, of what we consume and the effect it has. This is something that not only a personal belief, but is also something that deeply tied to Jewish religion. As the Torah espouses a great respect for life, as well as a particular focus on the humane treatment of animals. Though a variety of these belief systems, um, and eco kashrut in particular, um, it, I think it is important to understand how food may play a much more religious role in a Jewish wedding than it may in a secular one because of this unique doctrine and unique law of the Torah of kosher, of course, but also the interpretation of how kosher may have a new lens and a new interpretation in our modern world and the intentions of, of God and, and the word of God in the Torah of how we are to view our role with the humane treatment of animals and the humane production of food being a larger encompassing belief for many in this in this modern Jewish movement. Food has a deep connection to people's belief system and many who practice eco-kashrut feel that it offers a way for elevating the, not only their own practices, but elevating the practice of Judaism. Another interesting and, and certainly growing movement that arose at the same time um, of the Jewish renewal movement in the 1970s um, is encompassed by the uh, certification of Tav Hayusher, uh, which is an initiative to support and encourage restaurants and food suppliers to provide a more humane and fair work environment for their employees. There's many iconic kosher certifications that will be familiar to many American and even non-American Jews, such as the uh, certifications of the Orthodox Union and the Star K certification, which obviously certifies that food has been prepared properly and in accordance with the laws of Kashrut. Now, Tav HaYosher seeks to provide a complementary certification um, that ensures not only was the food produced in a kosher manner, but also in an ethical manner, with the production of the food and the treatment of the workers being conducted with, as the three values they espouse are, the right to fair pay, the right to fair time, and the right to a safe work environment for employees. This has become an increasingly relevant need for many Jews who practice kashrut, with recent scandals in kosher food production. In the late 2000s, there was a variety of raids on kosher slaughterhouses and meat processing facilities that uncovered a myriad of unethical conditions and illegal activities, ranging from immigration violations to even infraction of child labor laws. So there was an obvious increased importance for many who practice kashrut to focus on where is their food coming from and is it being ethically produced, and in particular for labor involved in the food production. 
now it is important to understand, although Tav HaYosher does provide many similar ethical standards that may be expected for those practicing Ikokashrut, it does not provide the same standards of Ikokashrut. For couples that want to have a wedding that adheres strictly to the values of Ikokashrut, there is also a certification offered by the Stiebel organization, uh, which is led by Rabbi Ben Newman, uh, an American rabbi who's a large proponent of the modern eco-kosher movement. Uh, the certification is called the Stiebel Eco-Kosher Certification, or the Sexcert. And the particular values that are laid out by the, the Sexcert, I think, are a great little, uh, little snapshot into kind of an, an all-encompassing belief over what it would mean to be eco-kosher and what kind of the values that play into them, kind of giving them all a name. And so bear with me as I, as I go through the Hebrew pronunciations of each of these seven, seven values. Uh, but I think it's important to understand um, the label that each of these has and how they can all kind of tie into the same belief system. Uh, now, the first one is Baltashit, which is the environmental stewardship. Um, and then there's Zar Belishayim, which is animal welfare. Va'anish Martem Nafsho Tachayim. Health and wellness. Lo Tahishuch Shahir Oni, ethical labor practices. Shomer Masoret, which is being mindful and respectful of Jewish ancestral traditions. Um, and then finally, Hit Shashut Vinshin Ush, which is continued growth and education. Um, and I think it's kind of important to see, especially the, the, uh, respect for Jewish ancestral tradition and the continued growth of education, which I think we, we may not have touched on as much, but is an important part for many who practice eco-kosher to see that this is not just a, a social statement, but this is a continue, continuation of religious practice and it is much a, a Jewish tradition as it is a social tradition for them. And it is important to continue to have that ancestral tradition be a part of, of your mindful practice of eco-kosher. And for, for many couples, I think this really helps to view why it's so important for some at their wedding to have an eco-kosher wedding. It's because if, if you see eco-kosher and you see kosher through this lens of the modern problem of food production and the, and the modern Jewish question of, of, of how we still continue to live the values espoused by the Torah, I think you can understand why it is important to have this incorporated. And, and in, for many, it is an, an ancestral importance. It is honoring your ancestors by continuing to grow and educate yourself and not only live these values of, of humane and ethical treatment, which are obviously important, but also to live the Jewish values of your tradition and your culture. And continuing to grow in that is something that many people reflecting in their wedding is, is, is very important and it is crucial to them. Uh, and unfortunately, Despite these certifications of Tav Chayosher and um, Sex Cert existing, there's still a significant lack of, of ubiquity. And unfortunately, um, if you kind of remain outside of some of the bigger um, Jewish population centers, you may not be able to find uh, these certified caterers. And this, this forces a lot of couples to do their own research on kosher caterers and to see if they can find caterers that can are previously kosher but can also fit into the eco-kosher standards. Uh, and this unfortunately remains an impediment for creating a fully eco-kosher wedding, um, but does exemplify that for those who do have an eco-kosher wedding, uh, they, they have put in individual work and effort to make sure that it is something that 
is present. It is something that they value to the point in which they are willing to go and put that extra effort in into an event that's already so complicated to ensure that they are living their values of eco-kosher. Now, don't worry. Um, we obviously here at Late Night Nashim will dive into some of the food you will actually see on the table at an eco-kosher wedding. So obviously that's something we, we all enjoy talking about. But one more aspect of an eco-kosher wedding that I thought was very interesting is is the popularity of donation. And for, for many couples who choose to have uh, an eco-kashrut wedding, um, many choose to raise awareness for a particular social or religious cause that they find particularly important. Uh, it's very common at an eco-kosher wedding for couples to ask for donations uh, to an organization in their name uh, as a gift, and, and sometimes in place of some traditional uh, wedding gifts. Some popular charities are... Um, they may obviously choose to promote the, the Stiebel organization or um, Uri Latezadek, which is the organization that supports the Tav uh, Chayusher certification. Um, but other charities include... There's a variety of charities related to the new Jewish food movement, which focuses on food insecurity um, and food deserts in our communities. Um, there's the Jewish Relief Fund, um, Jewish Community Center programs, and, and of course there's thousands more, but it's certainly an interesting... Um, piece of, of, of an eco-kosher wedding that kind of gives you a little bit more of an understanding of the all-encompassing nature of the belief system. Um, and, and now, of course, as we've all been waiting for, let's talk about some of the specific food you might actually find at an eco-kosher wedding and uh, what, a, what a menu might look like. And we'll provide some examples that you can, can see on our websites um, that provide the full thing. But let's talk a little bit about what, what foods are common to see and what food... Uh, but food might be a little different or a little changed based on eco-kosher. So now let's take that look into what an eco-kosher wedding is going to look like with what's on your plate and what's going to be the menu. And what's the difference between a, a traditionally kosher wedding and an eco-kosher wedding? Uh, and, and I think the difference that is interesting to take into point is that truthfully there is not as much different to the naked eye as to what an eco-kosher and kosher uh, plate may look like. I think the difference that's going to be interesting is that it's a step kind of beyond the kosher rules onto, you know, there's this ethical element and this humane element involved that kind of runs throughout an entire wedding, which you can kind of see as, as, I, as I talk about the different ways the menu is affected and the different ways that the wedding is affected, that it really is, eco-kosher really is something that affects an entire wedding for a couple. And that's why it can be so important for someone, because it really does get reflected throughout the entire ceremony. Uh, and for some of our secular listeners who may not have had a chance to listen to our episode on Kosher 101, I'll give you a quick rundown of kind of the basics of kosher before we expand into eco-kosher. So the, the most common rule, I think there's two rules that most people may know from the secular world, and that's, that's no pork um, in kosher, which actually also includes rabbit. And there's a, there has to be a separation of meat and dairy. You will never see at a kosher wedding a meat uh, dish and, and, and anything with dairy at the same table. You, you, it, it's, it's not allowed. Uh, and then in addition to that, something that I think most people may not know is that shellfish uh, are not allowed and then fish that don't have fins and scales are not allowed, which can include uh, catfish and sturgeon, um, which I think is something that some people may not be aware of. But beef, lamb, chicken, turkey, f most fish are all perfectly okay. Uh, as long as they are humanely prepared uh, and watched over by a rabbi um, and 
prepared in, in a humane manner is, is kind of the most essential part and then blessed um, with that process by someone, a rabbi overseeing it is also important. So as we look at this, I think it's important to realize that eco-kosher is something that you might not see on the plate as much as you will see it on the menu. I think it's important to recognize that there's going to be usually an emphasis on this is the farm we got this from, this is where we've sourced this from, we, we've taken the time to get the understanding of we know where this chicken comes from or if you know if you're choosing a dairy menu we we know this dairy farm treats their animals ethically and obtains the dairy ethically and that's kind of a very personal thing that i think it gets played out in an eco kosher wedding that you'll be able to see is that for a couple it's kind of a statement that this is a, a personal uh, preference for us we choose and we want to know where the food is coming from and we want to give that information to our guests and i think that's something that you'll usually see on the menu is that we are trying to give this and we are trying to have this as part of our wedding and that's a very personal and, uh, and, and, and religious statement for the couple that this is something that we choose to practice and we think is important and usually if you're kind of looking for spot the difference between a kosher and eco-kosher wedding being able to spot that and see that there is a difference there is something that will be evident in a kosher wedding is that there will be an understanding of we know where this food is coming from we have a relationship because this is a local source. We have been able to see how it is humanely and ethically produced. Uh, and that, that's something that's very important uh, religiously for the couple to have at their wedding. So it's important, I think, to understand that there is that added influence of this is something that we are going to see throughout an entire eco-kosher wedding. And that's going to be a large difference between kosher and eco-kosher is that what you receive the food on, what tableware you're using, also has to be sustainable or biodegradable. And that's going to be a theme that you're going to see throughout the whole thing with decorations, uh, the venue as well, is, is there's going to be a focus usually by the couple on not only are we going to have food that is representative of eco-kosher, but if it is a true eco-kosher wedding, then you will not see styrofoam or anything that, you know, centerpieces will have a focus on being reusable or being biodegradable. And there will be no, there will be a, an attention paid to waste and attention paid to how their wedding will have an effect on the environment. And... It's also, I think, very interesting to look at the food on your plate may not seem too different to the naked eye, but there will be an influence on it saying that it is organic, it is local, and it is non-genetically modified. And that may look particularly different in, this, in the, the size of the cut of meat or the, the, the way that you the things taste. And that's usually something that the couple also takes notice of and has a religious and personal preference for in knowing that there is that difference. And, and seeing that there is a difference between the food that they put on the plate that may not be evident to the naked eye, but that is very much present in, in, in the animal itself. And what the other interesting thing is to consider with kosher is that um, you will have usually two ways of approaching a kosher menu with either a meat option or a dairy option with kind of a meat menu or a dairy menu. And that's obviously due to the rules of kosher with the separation of the two and usually that being kind of the basis for for most weddings is is one main dish and if you have to pick one you can't have the other um and so what you'll often see a very popular kosher wedding meal is, is a chicken breast with some sort of roasted vegetables potatoes um there's a lot of potatoes and, and, and other vegetables usually involved with a meat dish because there will not be any dairy present there's usually going to be dips i think one of the most common things to see at a jewish wedding is some hummus um, and, and then the meat can be beef chicken salmon um, and there can be a variety of that offered as long as there is no dairy included. Um, and then and the difference will usually also be seen with the dairy menu is that there obviously will be no meat. And then there will be an emphasis on providing, you know, a variety of different, you know, interesting ways to incorporate the dairy into that with 
there usually be uh, a lot of cheese, um, some stuffed mushrooms, spring rolls, vegetable dumplings are very common. Um, and, and cheese, in the case of Dairy Wedding, is your best friend, I think, as, as some caterers kind of put it. Um, and then the options for the main dish can be very interesting at a dairy wedding, uh, from kind of a vegetable jumbly to uh, eggplant quiche is something I've seen, which has been very interesting. Uh, and you have to make sure that there's a good complement of side dishes and, and obviously any wedding that will be a main focus. And I think particularly in a kosher wedding, you will depend more on the planning of that based on your your kosher rules and your the kosher law that you have to follow in order for that to take case. And another good example of how kosher and then eco-kosher can kind of be an all-encompassing affair is kosher wine, which I think not a lot of people are aware that there is such a thing. Uh, the difference being that in order for a wine to be kosher, it needs to be in, you know, obviously under the supervision of a rabbi and then using only kosher ingredients, which, you know, in, in the production of alcohol in particular uh, is, you know, what fining agents and, and what yeast is being used to make it into alcohol. Uh, and then it must be obviously watched over in the entire process in order to ensure it's kosher, which I think provides a very interesting kind of look into the fact that eco-kosher does involve a commitment to understanding everything that you are putting out at a wedding. The same way that although kosher certainly does, there's certainly a lot more elements that meet you halfway with caterers and, and you know, rabbinic institutions providing uh, production um, focuses on that. Whereas eco-kosher is a much more personal experience and you usually have to be the ones putting it together yourself and, and having a an understanding of what you're putting out there for your wedding menu is going to be eco-kosher because you have put the time in to ensure that the wine you are getting uh, is humanely produced with the labor that is being put into the production at the vineyard, which I think, again, there is this focus on local because you can see and you can know that there is an ethical treatment and there is a humane treatment of, of animals involved, of you know even the, just the production of the grapes involved. Is it ethical? Is it humane? And I think that's kind of the most interesting thing you can see in the difference between the plate and the menu at a, a kosher wedding and then an eco-kosher wedding. So as we wrap up here, uh, we've been talking about eco-kosher and this, this beautiful and interesting intersection of ideology and food and how particularly um, in the Jewish tradition, eco-kosher shows up uh, at a Jewish wedding uh, and, and on a Jewish wedding menu and how that can affect, as we talked about, it's an all-encompassing thing that can affect the entire wedding um, and I think it's a beautiful and lovely uh, tradition and belief system that is, is only becoming more and more in tune with a lot of the modern challenges people see with the food industry. Uh, so obviously our final closing segment as, as most people um, will know if you're a recurring listener is our recipe of the week which is usually on the theme of the week so we have an organic honey chicken skewer which, as we'll know, will, if you're going to make it truly eco-kosher, must be locally sourced, organic, not genetically modified. Um, and then from there, it's going to be a lovely um, assortment of, I, I go for peppers and onions on my skewer, um, and you're making a kebab. Uh, and you're going to put it all together. Uh, you're going to season it with some honey and some soy sauce and some pepper uh, and a little, bit of, a little bit of olive oil. Marinate that in your fridge for about two hours. Uh, if you can do longer, that's better because it really gets to soak through there. Um, and then you can put it on the grill. Basically, you, know, you drain drain the marinade and slap them right on the grill, alternating the kebab around for about 12 to 15 minutes. You should get a nice little char on the outside, uh, and it should be perfect to eat. And don't worry if you didn't catch that all. That'll, of course, be on our website along with a variety of other recipes and episodes from weeks before. 
Um, but if you can't follow along quite with what I was reading off there, it'll be a better list of ingredients uh, and steps on how to, how to make that chicken. So, as we end every episode, every week, we end with a quote. This one is from the famous Jewish-American chef, Ina Garten. She says, One of the great gifts that you can give people is to cook for them. So, for those of you out there who can cook, I encourage you to do it this week and be happy giving to others. And for those of you who may not be quite as inclined, please tell those who do cook for you in your life how grateful you are that they do so. I have been your host, Evan Cordobin. This has been another episode of Late Night Noshing, and I wish you all a lovely week. <laughs>